Hey, it's uh, Holy Week. Um, the entire world, uh, Christian and not, will turn their attention to the events of Holy Week. This will happen across the globe. And you'll see headlines in the news about various things that maybe uh, some religious leader might say, but it will be because the entire world's culture begins to pay attention to the story of the gospel. For us, the story of the gospel takes center stage all year round, but hopefully for me and you this week, we will turn our attention to the events of this week and use them as a bit of a mirror for us to think about our walk with God. And to help you do that, you know, today obviously, but then we'll gather again on Thursday night to have communion for a a special Thursday communion service, a Monday Thursday service. So we hope that you're here for that at seven o'clock and don't miss that. And then we'll gather next Sunday for Easter at 8, 9.30, and 11, right here and online as well for all of those services. And so we hope that you participate in this and that you engage this week, spiritually speaking, because the calendar matters to God. I don't know why, but it does. It always has from the very beginning. And there are times when our hearts are more sensitive spiritually and we want to pay attention to that. And so we began this series the way, walking through the the passion narrative in John, the Gospel of John, and we started it at the very beginning of Lent, Ash Wednesday, and in the first Sunday of Lent, you might remember, Will French kicked us off in John chapter 12, which helps us because this will orient us according to the, the calendar of Holy Week. This is in John 12. This is where we started six, seven weeks ago. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. You saw the kids kind of give us this illustration, these palm branches, remnants of this. Why palm branches? Just a symbol of royalty, a symbol of kingship, a symbol of of authority, and they're lauding Jesus as as king. And we sang the lyrics. We'll we'll read the verse, things that they begin to quote as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But this moment is prophesied, foretold by the prophets, And when it happens in real time, all of Jerusalem is believing and understanding and hoping that Jesus has come to act as their deliverer. And he has, just not in the way they expect. They want a political revolution. They want Rome to be supplanted. They want God to do his thing and establish the authority and the primacy of Israel, the nation. Jesus has come for different reasons, though. And this confusion sets up all of the tension that exists during Holy Week. And so when Jesus comes to town, the disciples have gone ahead. They've got him a donkey. He's coming in as a king would come. And when he comes in, they begin to say some things. Here's what they shout. In fact, let's all say this together. We sang some lyrics, but let's say it together. Let's start right here. You ready? Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And this moment is the final straw for the religious leaders. This is when they decide this can go no longer. We will not suffer this this rabble rouser, this revolutionary, this wannabe rabbi any longer, and we will take matters into our own hands. Rome will try to extricate themselves from the situation. And my hope is that you'll take some time and Read through John 18 and 19 and maybe slowly, thoughtfully, when you have, you know, the two minutes of peace you get in the middle of a day, that you will allow God to use this story to bring you to a place of quiet reflection. When James writes his letter later in the New Testament, 
he says that the word of God is like a mirror. And so my guess is before you came to church today, you stood in front of a mirror. Um, If not, your spouse probably said you should probably go stand in front of a mirror. Um, And you looked at yourself and you you made sure things were in place or put together and you you did that. And James says that that if you are like a, a person who stands in front of a mirror and then walks away and forget what they look like, well, what a, what a pointless exercise that would be. And so the word of God is our mirror today. It is every day. But today, the story of Holy Week, we want to give this, this story, the understanding of what John writes about, an opportunity to just allow our hearts to be seen. And we can do this because we know some things about God and his nature. His love is complete. We can do this with confidence. We don't have to do it with shame or with any condemnation. We can allow God to meet us in this place. And in doing so, the events of Holy Week shine some light in some very interesting places. And so, Holy Week begins like this. And you can't look at the events of Holy Week without having some sort of spiritual, political, emotional whiplash because things turn around so quickly. Just six chapters later in John 18, Jesus finds himself in a garden. He's gonna have some conversations and trials with Annas and Caiaphas, the the high priest and the the would-be high priest who wants to have the authority of a high priest that's not a high priest any longer. Most churches have at least one of those. And all of this begins to come undone, trial before Pilate, and near the end of the chapter, Jesus is with Pilate, and the Jews are near him, and Pilate brings them out before the crowd, and this is what Pilate says. You have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? Of course, we put it in quotes, this facetious title. Jesus and Pilate had already had a conversation about whether or not he was in fact a king, and what is truth. It's an incredibly fascinating dialogue. You ought to read it for yourself. And, and when you do, you see that Jesus is interacting with people who are in religious authority, and he does so with such integrity and such courage, and then he interacts with Pilate, this Roman governor. And of course, all of these conversations give you insight into how Jesus is gonna face the most difficult experience of his life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it might even give you courage when you have to face similar circumstances where you are being asked and questioned things, when you're not sure how this is gonna go or whether God even seems to be present or with you in the moment. And Pilate asks this question, do you want me to release this king of the Jews? It's your custom. We release one prisoner as sort of a, a peace offering at Passover and the crowd of Jewish men and women look up at Pilate. They shouted back, no, no, not this man. We want who? We don't really know much about Barabbas. That's really all we know about Barabbas is that he was released instead of Jesus. He was a revolutionary. We know that much. And he had probably led a revolt against the government of Rome, probably on the grounds that Israel needed to have their good standing and their authoritative standing in the area, geographically and politically. And they asked for Barabbas. And I have to believe that the Jewish men and women, as they considered their options, I mean, think about it. Barabbas had been caught and tried and convicted, was already in prison, probably awaiting punishment. Jesus had been arrested mere hours before and Pilate could not figure out what in the world he had done wrong. 
And so he's hoping to avoid this awful circumstance, what they say we want, Barabbas. So when I see this, I have to believe that the Jewish men and women thought, well, at least Barabbas tried. At least he tried. Sure, he failed, but release him now. And their understanding of what God is up to was completely upside down. Their expectation of what it would mean if God would show up was completely backwards. And so when you watch the events of Holy Week transpire and the temperature, mood, the the very words spoken by the crowds, if we're going to allow these events to be a mirror for us, we have to at least acknowledge that when we watch it, my goodness, we, we are fickle and we are unpredictable. I don't know if you believe this about yourself or not, but we can see this when we watch the crowd in scripture. And when we watch them, we see that on one day they're ready to make Jesus king and when he doesn't behave as they think he should or act as a king might, they're ready to toss him aside. Not just to be done with him, they want him to be killed. We are also fickle and unpredictable. And I don't know if you think that about yourself. I certainly, on most days, don't think this about myself. I I play tennis with a group of guys. Um, I'm the youngest of the group of guys. All the other guys are retired. And I, um, you know, my schedule's pretty flexible, so I'll show up and play with them once or twice a week. And what I have always said, even as a young boy, I, I don't even care who wins a game. I'm just glad I'm playing. That's what, I, that's what I've said out loud. And, and I'm just out there with my buddies and having fun. And I, I, don't, I don't care who wins at all. Every now and then, something grabs a hold of my heart and turns me into a competitive jerk. Now, I don't know what it is. I don't even see it coming. It's not when there are stakes that are high. It's not when there's money on the game. It's, it's nothing. I don't know. I have no idea why it shows up. But we were playing just a few weeks ago and you know, we began to, you know, a bit nip and tuck, you know, give and go. It was tight. I was serving for the last game. And we, we aren't playing win but two. If I win this, we win this game, we win. And I uh, thought we had a chance at it and I blew it. And, and I'm supposed to be the guy on the court who doesn't care who wins or loses. But something rose up in with me and I had this racket in my hand and I just, in anger, kind of swung it. I caught the edge of a tennis ball that was on the court just enough to fling it into the air at a pretty high velocity. Well, my partner that day is a man named Charlie, and he's uh, 73 years old. They caught him on the side of the head. <laughs> now, Charlie's a very hard-headed man, and so he barely felt it. But in addition to anger and the you know, angst of losing, now I am terribly embarrassed. And I thought, I mean, I've seen some guys, you know, lose it a bit, but none of these guys. Here I am. I'm supposed to be the guy that doesn't care if we win or lose. And turns out, when I least expect it, I am fickle and poor Charlie, very unpredictable. In that moment, I just didn't even know who I was. Maybe you have some of those same experiences where something comes out of nowhere and you react to somebody with a, with a verbal retort or, or an emotional response and you're not sure who you are 
in that moment. It, what that means is, is you're like me or like the people in Jerusalem. We're incredibly fickle and, and very, very unpredictable. And I know, I know most of us would like to think, no, no, I, I'm the logical one. I, I can handle myself. I got it. I got it down. I'm the one that's going to be the voice of reason when everybody's losing their head. I'm the one that can handle the, but we find ourselves maybe in the exact same spot. If the people of Jerusalem are like us people, then we are like them in this very same way. And if you're not sure you're like them, then maybe you can just look to Peter as somebody that you can respect, but also understand that he found himself this holy week very fickle and unpredictable. You know, Jesus comes, you know, and he's there in the garden. They're all there praying. And, and uh, as the garrison shows up, Peter decides he's going to show bravery among bravery. And he grabs his sword. Well, John calls it a sword. It's probably a little pin knife is what it was. It was really a small knife, likely. But he swings it to defend Jesus, cuts off an ear. Jesus calls him down. And even in the moment of bravery, Jesus has fully predicted that in a few short hours that Peter would find himself cowering in fear and denying that he is even one of Jesus' disciples. And he does. He does that very thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never denied that I know Jesus. That's never happened to me in my life. I've never been put in a position to where my life or safety was threatened. And if I admitted that I knew Jesus or was a follower of Jesus, somebody was going to harm me bodily in, in some way, or that I was even going to be shamed for it or embarrassed for it. That's never happened to me. But even though I have not denied Jesus the way Peter has, I find myself denying Jesus in many other ways. Sometimes it shows up as a lack of trust when I know God has said he will provide and I doubt it and I fear and anxiety shows up. Sometimes it shows up in ways that I least expect it, like withholding love from somebody that I know God loves unconditionally because I don't agree with how they think or how they act. Sometimes it shows up when I try to control a circumstance or a situation because clearly I know what's best, even if it's swatting at a tennis ball out of anger. We deny Jesus just like Peter does. And so we find ourselves fickle and unpredictable. And so we don't acknowledge this or we don't make it an understanding of who we are so that we feel shame or any kind of condemnation because the truth is we know this about God and his love. It is, it is full and it is complete. His love for me is conditional even when I'm fickle. His love for me is enough and it doesn't change. It doesn't wane and wax. It, he doesn't react to me in some human way. He loves me as I am. But we ponder this so that the Holy Spirit may show us maybe a different way. A different way to love others, a different way to trust God, a different way to not let fear grip us when we're facing difficult circumstances. And so even though we are fickle and unpredictable, God is immutable. It's a great theological word. He does not change. He's, he's deeply, inerrantly, unchangeable. And his love for you, well, it's constant and it's complete. And so this is my guess. If we were to ask the Holy Spirit, which we will in just a moment, to maybe remind us of a time in the last few weeks when you were fickle or unpredictable, and it could have been through your actions or through your words or just through your emotions, 
and you found yourself drawing away from the immutable love of God, it's when we are distant from God's love that we begin to do things that, well, we end up apologizing for later. And so maybe God will allow his word to be a mirror for us in this way, in this moment, just for this moment, in this week. So let me guide you through a a bit of a prayer, a reflective prayer. And then we're gonna read a little more of John 18 and I'll guide you through another reflective prayer before Josh and the team comes and leads us in worship. Lord, we recognize, I recognize that I am a fickle, unpredictable, emotional, uh, sometimes doubtful, sometimes anxious, sometimes fearful. So Lord, in this moment, in this place, here in this room and online, would you, would you just call to mind a, a moment in our lives when we withdrew from your love, when we begin to think or feel or even believe unpredictable thoughts that later we, oh, we just knew it's the wrong path wrong choice, wrong emotions. So just call to mind, Lord, the conversation, the the circumstances, the issues at hand. Lord, we welcome your grace and your love and your mercy into that place. And Lord, for those of us that uh, are in need of a, a quiet room all by ourselves to ponder this, may we do that this week and, and give your, your voice, your guidance, your leading some space to, to speak to us. And so we also welcome your truth So in these places when we do not trust you, Lord, help us to open our hands and surrender. In these places where we try to control, help us to open our hands and give you control. Help us to stop the striving and the reaching and the manipulating and all of the things that we do to get what we want, even when we're not even sure what it is that we want. Lord, this holy week, may we experience your presence as we ask these questions and use uh, the scriptures you've given us as a mirror for our hearts. In the powerful name of Jesus, we all say, amen. And so at the beginning of this same chapter, uh, chapter 18, uh, Jesus is in the garden. He's in the olive grove. He's with his disciples, and they've come from the Last Supper, and And Jesus then sees it as some distance, the garrison of soldiers and the Jewish leaders and Judas coming uh, to have an interaction. And Jesus knows all that was going to happen to him. And he went out and he asked, what is it that you want? He's he's stepping in front. He's saying, I'm going to protect the disciples. You know, I'm going to be sure that we know who it is that you want. You're only going to take me. He says, who is it you want? And they look at him and they say, "Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. 
Now, Jesus, what he says next, his response is utterly incredible. It's, uh, it's unexpected. It carries with it such incredible weight. And if you read it in most translations, uh, unless you're looking at the footnotes or trying to understand some, something about the original language, you miss it. And you even find yourself confused by the reaction. This is what Jesus says, his, his answer, incredible. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, and Jesus looks up and he says, what does he say? I am he. And it seems like a, just an answer. That's what it seems like. But in the text, if you take some time to read it in John 18, those who were there, they fall back and they, they, they collapse. They, they can't believe he said this. And so to, to grab the context of what he says, well, the Greek doesn't really help. They, they should have left out the he in the translation and capitalized the am because Jesus simply looks at this group of religious and political authorities and his friend Judas and he says, I am. That's all he says. They have the exchange again, and he gives the same answer again. I am. And anybody with an understanding of the Old Testament or in their eyes, the law, the, the calling of Moses and the freeing of the slaves, and they would have immediately remembered that when God called Moses to free the Israelites, and Moses had this back and forth. I don't want to do it. You need to do it. I, I'm not qualified. You, yes, yes, you are. And finally, Moses says, I'll do it. I'll do it. But if I go, who will I say sent me? And God says, what? Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. And when Jesus says this in the garden, everyone knows what he's saying. I am when John writes his gospel, he has this in mind the entire time, these two words. And so Jesus teaches and he says, hey, I, you need to know this. I am the light of the world. He says, look, I, I, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He looks, he looks at Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he says. He says to his disciples in the upper room, when they say, we don't know where you're going, we don't know the way, he says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And what he says in front of those who would be contending to take his life, he simply says, I am. I don't know what you're in need of today. Direction, mercy, guidance, love, truth, grace, Patience, kindness, joy. My guess is each of you have a bucket and it's missing something that God wants to fill it with. And in your circumstance, whatever it is, whatever you need in that relationship or the tasks ahead of you with your job or what you believe is gonna be called on for you, out of you, with you over the next several weeks of your life, Jesus stands at the ready and he stands there and he looks at you and he says, Whatever it is that you need, I am. I am. Turn to me. And so, Lord, we come to you right now and we declare this truth that you are. You are all that we need at the beginning of this holy week. We recognize that while we can be fickle, uh, we can be unpredictable, we can be uncertain, we can 
doubt and fear. We have anxious feelings about what is to come. The Lord, you contain none of these things, that you are enough. And while that at times can feel like a platitude or a, a simple answer to a profound problem, we recognize, Lord, that your presence is what we need more than anything else to sense you, to be aware of you, to open our hands and be fully surrendered to you. So, Lord, this week we'll find ourselves in a myriad of circumstances many conversations with a variety of people. And in those places, we will have an opportunity to show love. We will have a chance to show compassion, to show your, your goodness, God, through our words, through our countenance, through the attention of our eyes. Lord, many of us in this room will have to make decisions this week, decisions that might honor you, decisions that might declare our dependence on you. And Lord, in all of those circumstances, conversations, decisions that we have this week, may we remember the words of Jesus as he says, I am, that he is enough and that he is what we need.